We're back. It's the Sagabit Swingin' Report Show. Get ready as we celebrate the year of the Sega console. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Segabit Swingin' Report Show. I'm Barry and joining me tonight is Segabit's writer and Sonic Talk podcast host and Sonic Stadium writer. I think I've hit all the all the things you do. Jason, okay. also known as Shigs, and our extra special guest is Mr. Peter Brown, editor at GameSpot. Hello and welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. And uh, I appreciate you uh, bearing with us. I know we had to reschedule because uh, we got scroogled by uh, Google. <laughs> but, yeah, not, uh, a, not a problem at all. Yeah, so um, I just wanted to quickly go through. Uh, 2014 is a big year for Sega, um, at least their past. Uh, every December, we, we behind-the-scenes talk as writers at Sega Bits to figure out what we're going to do the following year. And one of the interesting things that came up was that 2014 is filled with console anniversaries. So rather than picking our favorite, we decided to just go with all of them. Uh, the Genesis and I believe the Mega Drive in Europe celebrates its 25th anniversary this year. The Sega Pico, the Sega Saturn, and the Sega 32X all celebrate 20th anniversaries. And the Dreamcast turns 15 on 9-9 in America and on some date in November for uh, <laughs> for Europe. Oh, God, you're making me feel old. Yeah, right? Well, <laughs> so um, we're going to be doing a lot of things throughout the year. We're going to be, each uh, each piece of hardware is going to have a month. Even the Pico is going to have a month. Um, we're also going to be devoting full weeks to well-known franchises from those consoles, except for maybe the Pico, because I don't know how the hell we'd do that. And... Um, we uh, have some podcasts lined up in the future. We're going to have Darren Wall from the Genesis Mega Drive Kickstarter book come, coming back in March. Uh, he's going to be talking about Streets of Rage and the Genesis with us. And um, in June, we have a pretty big thing planned. We're going to be at Too Many Games hosting a panel. Uh, it's going to be the first time I actually meet anyone I've actually uh, spoken to through Sega Fan Sites in person. And... Um, yeah, it's just going to be a it's going to be a fun discussion on what happened when the Dreamcast died and what uh, we all ended up doing after that. We're going to have a representative from Sonic Retro there. He's going to talk about Hidden Palace Zone, and uh, he's going to be showing off some pretty cool behind the scenes stuff that they have, including uh, fan approximations throughout the years of uh, when people attempted to rebuild Hidden Palace Zone, and hopefully. We're also going to have the, the developers of that on a uh, uh, video stream, so they're going to be hopefully playing the game and talking a little bit about it. But uh, yeah, so we got a lot of stuff planned for the year. But right now, let's uh, get back into this. Peter, hello. Hey. And um, what what do you exactly do? What does an editor at GameSpot do exactly? Well, in the past, that would have been uh, one of many things. But now uh, we've got a group of about eight editors, and we all create all of the written content on the site, which can vary from news, game previews, uh, reviews, features. Um, and my beat tends to sort of fall into the hardware category. Uh, I cover uh, a lot of Japanese games. And uh, okay. whenever retro stuff pops up, I'm kind of the guy that covers that as well. Very cool. And you, you actually recently reviewed uh, Crimson Dragon. Yes. And you did not enjoy it so much. 
I enjoyed parts of it. <laughs> was it? I, I have to ask. I mean, I did read the review and watch. I believe there was a video that went with it. Yeah. Um, was it one of those games where it's a low score, but it's still an enjoyable game to play? If that uh, makes sense. I'm trying to remember. I think I gave it a six or a seven. Okay. Um, at, so we try not to just throw nines or even eights around a mm-hmm. game spot. Um, and still, you know, a game that's a seven is still good. And six is not as good. Um, so, you know, I going into that game, I love the old Panzer Dragoon games on the Saturn. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. and, you know, there's some of that in Crimson Dragon, but the, uh, the control scheme is a bit odd. There are some things that they've, that they've added. And, uh, you know, I, I would recommend that people play it if they have the chance to, but it's not the sort of thing that I think is going to make every Panzer Dragoon fan really happy. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like I did play it at the demo of it at E3 last year, and yeah, I wasn't too happy with that either. I think it was originally supposed to be a Connect uh, game, and that, that's why it's kind of using two joysticks at once. Mm-hmm. I'm not yeah, mistaken. yeah, they yeah. they changed that. It was going to be a 360 title initially as well, um, and I think that they I don't I mean I don't know exactly why Microsoft decided to change their mind, but I think it stands to reason that. They decided a connect really wasn't that strong, uh, you know, among consumer opinions, and um, I think they really wanted a Japanese title to launch with the Xbox One. So. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I mean, and uh, we we've seen that a lot too with a lot of former Sega developers. They uh, they you know have a ton of hits with Sega, and then when they leave the company, they they try to kind of hit those heights again. Um, we saw that with Child of Eden. I thought it's a great game, but I don't. I don't think it exactly is up there with Res. Yeah. Um, and then Yuji Naka, he's he's making bizarre mobile titles at the moment. So, <laughs> like uh, tap tap the teddy bear or whatever. Yeah, I, d- uh, I did enjoy uh, Child of Eden myself, though. Um, it's it's incredible in 3D if you ever get the chance to try it like that. Huh. Um, you you also Peter were at. Uh, CES, I believe. Yeah, that's right. How did that go? Any uh, any interesting stories to share from that? Uh, nothing Sega related, but um, you know, it's it's interesting to see where Valve is taking the whole Steam Machine concept. Um, in so much as it's very vague as what to what a Steam Machine is, and they're letting other people decide. Uh, so that was kind of interesting to explore each manufacturer's opinion of what a Steam Machine should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got another chance to play around with the Oculus Rift, um, the VR headset that is uh, continuously under development, and um, that's looking pretty good. I actually, uh, every time I use it, I'm more and more convinced by the advances they've made. That was probably the highlight. Cool. Yeah, one of, one of my dreams was with the Steam Machine that maybe Sega would partner with some hardware manufacturer, because I know they don't exactly have the resources to build things themselves now, but... That that would be kind of a cool semi way to get a new piece of hardware out there by kind of stamping their approval on it and maybe even using their their logo and their their licensing behind it. That would be interesting. I, I mean, I can tell you right now that a Steam Machine is essentially just a PC that's been rebranded. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wouldn't, you know, if Sega was interested, I think maybe you know they would attract the right crowd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who are different, definitely desperate. I know um, a few years ago. They had a series of laptops that another company produced, but they kind of oversaw, and they had each one was branded with a different console, and then there was a general Sega one as well. But um, 
I don't know. I've, I've always felt like it's something that they, the the cravings that people have for some sort of piece of Sega hardware right now. From what I understand, aren't the uh, Steam machines uh, lacking uh, Windows, so they just use their own uh, operating system? Well, so that's what Valve is trying to do. Um, they're essentially developing a new version of Linux that um, boots into the Steam, you know, the Steam Big Picture mode. But that same Big Picture mode, you can get that um, on Windows right now. Uh, so the differences there are: if you're running Linux, you can't use DirectX which means only some games work because it relies on the OpenGL uh, graphics library. Mm. Um, but you know, Valve isn't really telling people to run the Windows version of Big Picture because they're trying to take Microsoft out of the equation, I think. Mm. Um, so really, honestly, if you wanted a Steam machine right now, you could turn on Big Picture mode in Steam, plug in a 360 controller, and just hook up an HDMI cable to your TV. And you've essentially got a Steam machine at that point. True. Uh, it's, really, it's really just a really strong marketing push from Valve that has gotten people to believe that this is a new type of hardware it's really not mm-hmm. it's an interesting idea though I'm, I'm kind of i want to see where it goes i i don't think i'd ever buy into one unless uh it was sega branded but um, <laughs> <laughs> um peter i was confusing on which kind which kind are any good or anything because i'm from what i hear there's also going to be multiple hardware manufacturers possibly mm-hmm yeah, I mean, at the moment, um, I talked to maybe six or seven different manufacturers out of the 13 that Valve unveiled, and I asked them if they had to license the name Steam Machine, and they said that Valve has not uh, pursued anything like that. So hmm. the only requirement at the moment um, to sort of be a part of that, that universe is that you pay Valve for um, the internal hardware radio that speaks to their controller. That's basically the only caveat at the moment. So there's really nothing stopping anyone from just saying, here's a Steam machine, right? Which will confuse customers, I think, when it comes time to you know, really buy these things. True. Hmm. Well, I was, I was curious, what, um, how did you get into the industry exactly? Like, what are your, if you, if you wanted to get into your early years, um, yeah. as it were, your, maybe your inspirations for getting into gaming journalism? Well, I... Uh, my father wrote for PC Magazine for a long time. Um, he started before I was born. I was born in 85. And okay. uh, so I kind of grew up in an environment, um, you know, because he, he worked from home. He was freelance. And, uh, and we would just have interesting hardware coming in all the time. And, of course, I, I latched onto video games as a kid. Um, and I was very excited for the Dreamcast when that was coming out. Um, I grew up with a Nintendo NES, you know, and then I got um, a Genesis and uh, kind of steered away from Sega for a while, but the Dreamcast had the arcade games that I was looking for. Yeah. And um, I remember I, I was, you know, I was 14, and I kind of asked my dad if they had any plans to review the Dreamcast, and he just suggested that I write to his editor and ask if they would let me do it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I have no idea, like, what influence my dad had on that decision, to be honest with you, but they agreed, and uh, so, yeah, appropriately enough, the first thing I ever wrote was uh, a Sega Dreamcast review. And how did it uh, how did it fare for you? <laughs> well, pretty well. PC Magazine is kind of interesting in that they are very cons- like general consumer focused. Uh-huh. So my review wasn't really geared towards the gaming audience. Um, but that said, I, I I still really liked the game. I thought the launch lineup was, you know, I'm having Sonic Adventure there was a pretty big deal. Um, mm-hmm. That was definitely the strongest title. That and Power Stone for me. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I definitely I love the Dreamcast from day one. I've got one sitting next to me right now, hooked up to my, <laughs> hooked up to my TV at work. Um, you know, from there, I actually 
continued to do small things for PC Magazine, uh, sh really short, like 100-word game reviews. And then um, after that, I ended up going to college to study uh, visual effects, like 3D modeling. Cool. Uh, and uh, I got a job at 1UP in video, 1UP.com in video production right before I graduated. And um, after that, I kind of just had a, you know, a series of freelance gigs. And then I applied to GameSpot as a strategy guide editor. Um, did that for about six months, but then I kind of forced my way into other parts of the site. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's where I am today. Forcing your way in is the best way to do it. <laughs> you kind of, yeah, yeah. Once you're, once you're in anyway and you have the ability, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll admit at Segabits, the only reason I'm doing what I'm doing is I looked for what people weren't doing and I just started doing it. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> if someone dropped the ball and just stopped writing for a month, I'd start doing more. And then pretty soon people are like, well, Barry's doing more than that guy. He must... You must be higher up on the uh, hierarchy. <laughs> before, yeah, before I got there, the uh, the GameSpot hardware editor, you know, he was dedicated to just reviewing graphics cards and everything. Uh, he left about a month before I showed up, so there was nothing hardware related happening for a long time, and I kind of just latched on to a few things as quickly as I could, and yeah, I took Very off from there. Cool. So, would you say that? Um, I mean, looking at the um, modern consoles right now, is there one you lean towards? Not not just for liking, but for Focus you focus on more either the PlayStation Four or the Xbox One. Um, I in terms of the the coverage that I'm assigned, it's sort of uh, it falls into every camp. Um, okay. But, but oh, and I forgot the Wii U exists too. It yeah. does exist, and I'm <laughs> I'm very partial to the Wii U. I think I mean I'm I'm a big fan of Nintendo's games as I am Sega, mm -hmm. and uh, I think the Wii U has got some really solid titles right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I not sold on the gamepad necessarily. I think they should probably separate that and let people choose if they want to buy that. But between the Xbox One and the PS4, it would probably have to be the PlayStation 4. Okay. Um, but, you know, overall, PC and currently the 3DS are my two favorite platforms. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I love the 3DS. It's uh, definitely my favorite mobile gaming or portable gaming uh, device probably yeah. ever. I just upgraded <laughs> to an XL and I love it. It's, it's so good. It's so nice, yeah. <laughs> And well, Sega's yeah, got some pretty interesting stuff on there too. They uh, they contracted people to do uh, 3D remasters of games like Space Harrier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are some of uh, some of our favorite titles with the with the writing staff. Yeah, I, I, I'm constantly praising Galaxy Force too because the 3D in that is absolutely spectacular the way they did that one. Yeah, going back to what you mentioned with the Dreamcast. Um, one of the things I always loved about it was the, like you said, the arcade ports. There were, I remember at the time, several titles would release and they'd be, you know, maybe $20, $30 budget titles and you'd get uh, the arcade experience at home. Um, what, what were some of your favorite Dreamcast uh, games at the time? I'd say Capcom was making most of the games that I oh, was Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a big Street Fighter player. Okay. Um, so obviously the ports of Street Fighter 3 for me were, were really exciting. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, Marvel vs. Capcom as well. I remember reading EGM about that for months and months and seeing new character reveals. And then I got to play it in an arcade in New York City one time. And then I found out it was coming to Dreamcast. And it was, you know, that was kind of just really special for me. Um, but even like the obscure stuff, like uh, Cannon Spike. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, the top-down multi-directional shooter. That game, that game was really fun. I mean, definitely arcade-sized, you know, just a few levels and, and not too much depth to explore. But, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, in an age when arcades were kind of beginning to disappear, 
it was nice to actually have access to some of that stuff at home. Yeah, Capcom was a real good friend to Sega during that era. I I remember at the time, I mean, it was probably my second favorite uh, publisher or developer at the time uh, behind Sega. Um, you said Power Stone you, uh, was one of your launch titles. Did you get into Power Stone 2 at all? I never actually played that one as much. That's and wild. I'm not sure why. <laughs> that was probably the game I played uh, weekly for about a year. Oh, wow. Such a good game. Jason's beeping. <laughs> okay, let me uh, go ahead and unplug that. It's, my laptop is charging, but it's like 90% now. Your Tamagotchi's dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once my laptop gets like the final 10%, it just starts beeping like mad. I was going right. to say... Uh, okay, cool. Um, in reference to the Dreamcast's titles, you know, uh, I feel that... Well, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts, too that if Sega had moved on and survived the Xbox, PlayStation 2 era, um, do you think that they could have survived doing what they were doing at the time, releasing several arcade ports um, and then the occasional big-name titles That's with a, uh, Dreamcast yeah. 2 or at least even a Dreamcast going on a five-year lifespan? Yeah, that's a pretty complex question, I think. The, you yeah. know, the... And I don't, and I don't want to stick my foot in my mouth here, but um, you know, it's, the past few years have seen um, a surge um, in great games coming from North America and mm-hmm. Europe. And I think one of the major criticisms being lobbed at a lot of Japanese developers is that they are kind of sticking to their guns. They're doing sort of very similar things that they've been doing for a long time. And while that's resonating in Japan, it's not so much over here. Uh, obviously, there are there are people such as myself who don't really mind that there's no you know there's not all this innovation all the time. You know, I just I really enjoy certain franchises and yeah. I like new content in those franchises. But if Sega could have been successful doing what they did with the Dreamcast, I I would have been surprised. Yeah, I think they were in a good position with Microsoft after the Dreamcast went away. They released a lot of really interesting games on the Xbox. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Shenmue 2 included, right? I mean, we didn't get that in North America on the Dreamcast. So Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we also had mm-hmm. uh, Smilebit was right. fantastic on the Xbox. I mean, I think in many Sega fans' eyes, the Xbox was sort of the, not the spiritual successor, but the successor. It was, at least for me, the console that I bought after the Dreamcast uh, went away. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't get into the Xbox uh, until maybe even a year and a half ago, and I started collecting for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that got me excited about it was just the plethora of of games from Sega and you know Sega developers. Yeah, yeah. There was a fantastic uh, bundle they released. I remember the the Duke controller people really hated. So they <laughs> they bundled the console with the controller type S or whatever they called it, the smaller yeah. one, and they put that Jet Set Radio Future and Sega uh, GT disc in there. Yeah, and that was probably the greatest non Sega purchase I've ever made in in. Uh, of a console. It was just such an awesome package. It was as a, as a collector, I actually sought out those titles individually. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Um, But, uh, but yes, that was one that was a great little move right there. And you know, like the ports of outrun Mm -hmm. were fantastic. Oh, definitely. Arcade games. Those are still like really, really fun to play. Yeah. The original Xbox itself felt almost like an expansion of the Dreamcast, like a continuation for a while. Well, that's uh, there was also that um, 
behind the scenes stuff that we learned recently where Microsoft and Sega were in discussions to include Dreamcast uh, backwards compatibility with the Xbox. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So, because I, I actually I dug up one of my uh, old gaming magazines and they were talking about the Dreamcast in chip form. I think uh, actually we when we had the Dreamcast magazine writers on, they said they were invited to this uh, event at Sega and they were basically saying, oh, look, it's the Dreamcast in chip form. And they're like, yeah, well, how do we report on this? And they're like, just tell people it's in a chip now. What are you doing with the chip? And they'd say, oh, it can be in anything. And they were like, like non-Sega things? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And they're like, are you leaving the hardware market? No, no. <laughs> it was kind of, they were definitely uh, on their way out, but they weren't telling anyone, even their official magazine writers at the time. That uh, that kind of reminds me of an interesting story. Uh, it's a bit of a tangent. Uh, oh, that's all right. Go on. So uh, GameSpot is based in San Francisco, and that's also where Sega has their U.S. Off- offices. That's right, uh, yeah. Back when the Dreamcast was being phased out, uh, Sega did sort of a fire sale of all of the stock that they had um, in-house. And that included things like the CDX and, you know, like all sorts of interesting hardware and games. And uh, while I wasn't around to participate, there are uh-huh. many people in the office who have been at GameSpot for a long time, and they reminisce about going down to Sega's offices and buying, like, five <laughs> CDX consoles for, like, 20 bucks a piece and Jesus. all this stuff. I mean, the, the Sega's transition from, you know, a company that does hardware and software to strictly software is one that's just very interesting to me. Yeah. With stories and- like that, you know. It's, yeah, I believe uh, Ricardo Torres said that he yeah. was at that fire sale. <laughs> okay, yeah. That he, guy has a memory like a steel trap. It's insane. You can you can be like, hey, so 20 years ago, and he's like, oh, yeah, I was eating a muffin, and we were, Seaman was releasing the next week. Um, no, but yeah, that's that's a... that's oh, God, I wish I could have been there. I know, I know, yeah. CDX. Uh, oh, man, and like Saturn Games, too. I mean, they had a lot of stuff that just went, went back, you know, years um, mm-hmm in the past if only right <laughs> yeah yeah if only oh geez well it's uh interesting too you mentioned um sega's transition to uh hardware to software only and you know I, I feel like a lot of sega fans i don't want to badmouth them kind of are a little short-sighted in saying that that sega died at that point or that you know i mean they're definitely not the same but when you look back at other hardware manufacturers who also made uh uh, content. I mean, we don't see Philips producing things after the death of the CDI so much. We're not seeing uh, Atari's, I believe, long gone, or at least it only exists in name now. Um, but I, I mean, it definitely says something about Sega. I don't think, I think they could be better off than they are right now, but it's pretty surprising that they're still, they're still doing what they're doing uh, over 10 That's- years later. I do think they lost quite a bit of the passion, though, that they had from back then. I mean, I think one of the reasons a lot of the Xbox games and the um, early GameCube games from Sega were still great is a lot of that was leftover stuff from the Dreamcast that they, you know that they had in the planning stages. I imagine that's true. Plus, because when you're when you're not when you're not the making software to sell the hardware that's yours. Mm-hmm. There's usually not, you know, not the quite the drive or the imagination that there was once was. Well, that's true, and well, well, there's definitely been a drop in output, but at the same time, we're talking about a company that initially was supporting their own hardware, so they had to fill all these uh, things like having their own sports games because EA wasn't there, 
and having just a lot more things that fulfill the needs of a console. So, yeah, I, I mean, think, you know, brand identity is pretty important. And obviously, when you talk about Sega, Sonic the Hedgehog comes to mind. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably why you don't see Atari and Philips around because they never really had a thing that customers could latch onto. Yeah. Like a, like a Sonic, like a Mario, even like Master Chief for Microsoft. I think without yeah. Halo, without Halo, you know, what would have happened to the Xbox? Um, that's you know, who knows, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You still see Atari every once in a blue moon, but it's just all about their past and nostalgia and everything. Yeah, I mean, but so I think Atari and Sega are are smart in that they are branching out these days. So Atari is publishing, uh, for example, in Europe, they publish the Witcher series of games. Okay. Um, and you see Sega in in the West publishing the Total War uh, PC strategy games. Yeah. Which you know both of those series have very passionate audiences, but those audiences don't I, don't really align with Sega per se. That's but, true. But. Sega's found a way to sort of tap into other resources to keep themselves afloat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, too, when you look at them even during their hardware era, they were always changing. I don't, I don't think the Dreamcast era is very similar to the Mega Drive era, at least in terms of the types of games that were coming out. Even franchises, uh, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure a majority of the Genesis franchises did not appear on the, uh, the Dreamcast. So yeah. it's... It's one of those tricky things. Like people now are asking, well, we want another Shenmue three, we want a Space Channel five, we want another Panzer Dragoon. But when you look at the history of those franchises, a lot of them are kind of tied to a single console or maybe a console in the next one. It and so you have to think too about the developers and how. Imagine you're a fresh new developer at Sega. You want to do what you want to do. You don't want to become the guy that makes, you know, a follow up to a game from twenty years ago. And uh, it's it's a difficult uh, difficult line to walk. Or the poor but... guys who made Golden Axe on the 360. Yeah. Oh jeez. Oh, that tragic game. <laughs> I mean, uh, what are your thoughts, Peter? Would you would you like to see Sega mining that nostalgia a bit more, or branching out into introducing new franchises like they've done when the Dreamcast came out? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. I know that they're still experimenting in the arcade space. Um, I don't. The, the problem is that that doesn't. I don't think translate um, to the home market. Kind of like in the past, because the hardware is in arcades is quite exotic now. Whether it's like a, a gigantically, you know, like a really wide screen or an interesting, you know, vehicle that you get into, like a physical object. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But uh, you know, it's interesting. Like I see games like Fantasy Star Online two come out. And we don't have that in the West yet, right? But where that is available, that game is doing really well. Mm-hmm. I, I was a huge Fantasy Star Online uh, player back on the Dreamcast. I played. Oh God, yeah. I played like hundreds of hours, um, and that's a series I would love to see. I mean, it's already been revived, right? But I would love to see it come out in the West, and I think have give Sega fans something something to latch onto, like you know, a series that they really love. Obviously, they're continuing with Sonic, but the, the results there have been really mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what else. Like, Columns is not going to save Sega. <laughs> yeah, or Puyo Puyo is still coming out, but it's definitely at a small scale. Yeah, and they they're partnering with with uh, whoever. I guess Nintendo probably still owns the right to, to Tetris. Yeah, there's a Puyo Puyo Tetris game coming out. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I will say that it's it's pretty likely that Shenmue Three will be announced soon. Oh really? I don't, I don't have any special information, but <laughs> just go, going off of clues, right? You know, um, uh, Yu Suzuki is giving a postmortem discussion uh, presentation at 
uh, the Game Developers Conference in March. Mm-hmm. And for the recent iOS port, as I'm sure you know, of uh, Sega All-Stars Racing, yep. they have uh, Ryo Hazuki, uh, you know, he's driving different vehicles that have Shen 3 as a license plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, I, I get excited about the, the notion of a Shenmue 3. Do I think that it's going to revitalize Sega's business? No. <laughs> it, hasn't, it hasn't in the past. It took uh, yeah. two games it hasn't done it. But, um, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you mentioned Shenmue 3. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a tricky one. I mean, the, um, there was a, a fake copyright that went up and um, not too long ago. We were one of the early sites to report on it. And before we could even get back in to update it and say, you know, guys, take this with... Well, we did say take this with a grain of salt, but before I could even get in there and edit the uh, writer's article to be like, this is a rumor, guys. It's tagged as a rumor, but I'm going to make sure you know it's a rumor. The entire site went down as well as... Uh, we're on Sonic Retro's servers, and they're, they're a pretty big site in and, of, in and of themselves. So we took down all of Sonic Retro and Segabits just because we reported that Shenmue 3 was copyrighted. Wow. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, for... I think it gets exci- people get excited about things like that. You know, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I collect video games is that it's the nostalgia factor. Like, I I don't I don't actually think every game I buy is great now. You know, even <laughs> you know as great as it as it what? was as a kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but um, but yeah, I think you know people get excited about uh, the way things used to be, and I think Shenmue Three will sort of offer a bit of that to people, and hopefully it'll be a great game if it if it does exist and it does come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the difficult thing with Shenmue is whenever I think back to it, i got to ask myself, am I looking at it through the rose-tinted glasses or is it, was it and is it still is a, uh, you know, like a fantastic game? And it is pretty awesome. I mean, you look, look past some of the things that are now normal, like uh, open-world games and the weather changing and time changing. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty awesome at the time, and even still, when you, uh, I don't know if you've played uh, Shenmue 2 on import on the Dreamcast, but it's pretty amazing to see what they've been able to do. Huh, no, actually, I've not played it on the Dreamcast. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's pretty close to the Xbox, and so you're getting Xbox quality uh, uh, graphics, or at least performance, on a Dreamcast. It's pretty amazing. You know, I bet you that if we do get a Shenmue 3, you're going to see some of the things incorporated that you mentioned, like, you know, open world, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at least to the, the modern scale um, applied there. I, I think the notion that you can just grab an old series and bring it forward has sort of been debunked, that that doesn't really resonate with everyone other than your hardcore fan base. Yeah. So if, you know, if Shenmue 3 was to happen, I think, I would hope that Sega takes it really seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they would. And I And I also think that they would probably... You know, bring it up to speed with modern modern trends. Yeah, yeah. Well, they I do know that they have Shenmue One and Two HD in the works, but oh. it hasn't come out yet. Um, and the things I'm going by for this is the fact that a Sega rep himself said, uh, I believe it's the what is it, Jurgen Post of uh, Sega Europe. I think it was him stated that Skies of Arcadia and Shenmue were the next titles in their. Um, uh, Sega Heritage Collection. Unfortunately, this entire 2013 was completely dry when it came to Dreamcast re-releases, and uh, we have no re- no uh, we don't know why. It might have been a licensing issue. It might have been um, uh, maybe they want to have them all release on Xbox One and PS4 as well. Yeah, so. that's interesting. I did not realize that they were porting those games. You know, that might actually be one thing that they might mention uh, at GDC. Mm-hmm. Arch. That would actually make a lot of sense. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm like, you know, stepping on anyone's toes because <laughs> they definitely, a Sega rep himself said those are the games that they're working on. So oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, That's cool. Uh, that's cool. That was like two years ago, though. It's been since now, hasn't it? Um, yeah, it's been a while. I checked. I think it was about 2000, 2012, maybe late 2011 that he said that. But um, we did get Jet Set Radio and Nights um, shortly after, I think he said that, or those were in the works. Yeah. Um, so I, I have no idea what's going on. I mean, like you said, with Play, uh, Fancy Star Online 2, that's another game that supposedly is coming. We've talked to our sources at Sega and they have said that it is still planned. It's just, they have, it's a TBA uh, yeah. release, unfortunately. And again, I don't know why, you know, it might be internal politics. It might be what, but there was a, was word that Atlas, I believe it was Atlas. Maybe Jason can correct me on this. Um, or no, 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 wait, it was um, the company of heroes developer, I think was being tasked with working on a online RPG for Sega. Um, so it could be that they're working on uh, getting the servers all set up in the yeah, translation. I heard of. All I know is that Atlas is welcome to any of Sega's IPs if they want to like develop. That's one true. Of the yeah. other IPs. Are you um, an Atlas fan, Peter? Uh sort of. I um, yeah. I mean, I, I dabble in some of their stuff. Uh, specifically, they published Ogre Battle back on. Actually, no, that was published by Quest. Um, you know, I think maybe the, the latest Atlas game that I've played was Disgaea back on the PS2. Um, I don't know. And then Crown, Crown Princess, or not Crown Princess, I'm sorry, Code of Princess on the 3DS, mm-hmm. the, uh, the successor to uh, Guardian Heroes. Right. Yeah, yeah, I played a bunch of that, actually. That was pretty good. But I, I'm not really a huge Atlas fan in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that was a... a interesting thing when they bought them because we were like well should we write about them now <laughs> I, I guess i have to start playing atlas games um yeah that was interesting i wanted to jump back to the genesis era actually um you said you uh started with the nes and then you made the transition to the genesis what what was it about the genesis that got you uh to change sides or were you even aware that there were sides at the time i wasn't aware um, I'd say I was probably six, seven years old, maybe when the decision came, you know, like I knew Christmas was coming and I kind of knew that like, okay, I can pressure my parents to, <laughs> to hook me up with a new console and I could, you know, tell them I wanted a Super Nintendo or a Genesis. I think it was that I, I had spent so many years playing Mario and playing Nintendo games that, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog was so, so exotic and kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. That was definitely, the, that was definitely the game that attracted me to the Genesis uh, immediately. Um, I got, I guess, what did I get? I got the original Sonic the Hedgehog bundled with the, the system, and then for yep. whatever reason, I wanted Dick Tracy, which was a terrible game. <laughs> oh, man, I like Dick. <laughs> Tracy. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that was actually developed by, uh, I believe, the Shinobi developers. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and if you, if you check it out, there's a lot of uh, similarities. There's the shooting gallery in between stages, there's the kind of like walking and shooting, which is similar to the. the uh, Maybe I should Shuruken. revisit it because I haven't I haven't played it since um, since I was young and it, give it a try. There's yeah. even the you know the horseback riding in Shinobi. There's a yeah. art chase, which okay. is similar to that with Dick Tracy. But um, oh, okay, oh, that's, that's that's it. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of any rivalry either. It was just for me, Christmas was coming up, and I knew that that Sonic game looked really cool, so I wanted the <laughs> Genesis. 
Yeah, I think I bet you like you know everyone who bought a Genesis was attracted to Sonic. They had yeah. to have been right. I mean, it was he was faster. He looked, um, I badass maybe. <laughs> I mean, compared to Mario, Mario, right. I mean, yeah. Mario is kind of lame looking if you just if you don't even think about what kind of games they are. If you're just a kid looking at it, you're like fat guy in overalls or a really cool cartoon hedgehog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's cool. Um, so you, but then you said you you kind of avoided the whole Saturn and uh, era and all that. What what was it that uh, were you turned off by it, or you just were having too much fun with the Genesis? Um, so after the Genesis, uh, I had that for a long time, and then um, you know Sega Channel was out, and I, I loved that. Nice. And uh, and then my friend said, "Hey, I got this thing, you know, the PlayStation," and I'd heard <laughs> of it, but I hadn't really seen much. Um, it was right when it came out. And not too long after that, he showed me Resident Evil, and I thought, okay, wow, this is, this is something special. Um, so I, I bought a PlayStation not too long after that. Uh, I got Resident Evil, and I got Wipeout. Loved Wipeout. Resident Evil scared the, the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually had to return it. <laughs> oh, wow. But I, didn't, I, returned it, I returned it because I, this was such an investment, and I, I knew if I wasn't going to play the game that I bought the system for, I may as well go for the other game that I wanted, which was Super Mario 64. Oh, okay. So I traded in my PlayStation, got a Nintendo 64. Um, and I, I remember considering the Saturn at the time. And by that I mean I was looking at the Toys R Us flyer in the newspaper. Hmm. And the, the deals that they were offering, it was like, you know, buy a Sega Saturn in four games for like $50 more than a Nintendo 64 uh-huh. uh, for just the system. But the games, like, I had played a lot of Virtual Fighter in the arcades, so that really wasn't new to me. Yeah. And I think they were offering, like, Sega Rally and, or something. Just the, the titles that they had at launch weren't enough mm-hmm. to get excited. But what Nintendo was doing with the analog stick and, and Mario 64 was just too hard to pass up. Yeah. Yeah, they really dropped the ball without a Sonic game launching on yeah. the... Uh... Yes. Still don't know why... They could have even uh, ported the Chaotix to the Saturn if they were, you know, desperate and just added some some bonuses. And I'm sure kids would have been like, oh, my God, Knuckles spinoff on the Saturn. But no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even if they had released Sonic Fighters at launch, and that yeah. game is strange and it's not really, you know, it's not at all a traditional Sonic game. But for me, like, I knew it wasn't going to be a great fighting game, but I knew it was going to have all the characters from that universe that I loved. Yeah. That could have been enough, I think, maybe to 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 get more people into the Saturn at the time. Would it have worked for you? I think it might have. <laughs> Honestly, I just remember flipping through magazines and seeing, you know, who's the little green character? He's kind of like a a duck. Oh, Jason, oh, I'll let you answer that. Oh, Bean. There Bean. we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember seeing Bean and Sonic in screenshots, like going to fight each other, and I thought I just. I don't know. For whatever reason, I really needed that game. <laughs> um, and it, that's kind of one of the reasons I considered buying a Saturn. But it wasn't until much later um, that I did. Probably mm. about the time that uh, games like Panzer Dragoon uh, Saga. Oh, my God. Did you buy out. that? No. Oh, man. I um, always I always I, love those stories from people who are like, yeah, I was a kid in the 90s and I saw Panzer Dragoon Saga marked down to 20. I picked it uh, up. You know? Yeah, I'm actually... I, so- I'm seeking a copy at, right now. Sorry? I'm sorry. Uh, I worked at EB Games at the time, and I actually had uh, 
a copy, purchased a copy of that, and you know, a few weeks later after I beat it, I traded it in. Oh man! <laughs> now it's, it was worth so much money. Now, yeah, I, I kind of for me, my ceiling for that game is like two hundred and fifty dollars, which uh-huh. it's rare to find a complete copy at that price. Yeah. You can find it somewhat close, but. Um, <laughs> My yes. the rumor was it was like 5,000 copies made of the last three games, you know, for the Saturn mm-hmm. period. So I think what happened with Panzer Dragoon Saga, and there's there's sort of evidence to support this, is that they made 5,000 of that, and that game actually sold better than they expected, so they did another run. Uh, so which, now, if you look for that game, you'll find that some of the CD inserts are white and some of them are black. Okay. And that's, mm. based, that's based on the two different production runs of that huh. game. But Magic Knight, Ray Earth... Um, man, I forget the other. Yeah, was that a, was the other one. There's Magic Knight Rift. Oh, uh, Burning Shining, Rangers and Shining Force as well, I believe. Oh. The first uh, Shining, the, the Shining Force three, the first chapter of that. Um, I think that was another one of those. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I wish I could just t- take a time machine back to when Panzer Dragoon Saga came out, buy about twenty of them, and then come back <laughs> and, and give them to all my friends. I, I might be acquiring one pretty soon. Oh, nice. I'm hoping I don't even have to pay 250 for it. I, there's a, a guy I know who's a pretty serious collector who's going through storage right now, and I was talking to him, and he's like, oh, I think I have two copies of that game. Shoot. So, yeah. But who knows? I don't yeah. want to jinx it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I actually was looking on eBay today for one. I wasn't going to buy it, but I just like looking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it sounds wrong. But, um, but they had one. It was starting, starting at 100 which yeah. was good. But one of the notes was that disc one was like cracked, but it still plays. And I'm like, I don't want to drop a hundred dollars on a game that's cracked, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, I I've been lucky enough to go to Japan um, a couple times over the past few years, and I'll pass by the Japanese version on shelves, and it's the equivalent of twenty dollars American. It's so cheap. Yeah, you could yeah. get it on eBay right now. I think for about thirty bucks. Sure, but but man, I just yeah, it's it's sort of like this this holy grail that I, that I want. And it's not even as a collector, I don't usually collect for value alone. Yeah. Um, and this game just happened, you know, Panzer Dragoon Saga just happens to be very expensive, but I have, I have wanted that game for so long and I passed up buying it when it came out. I don't even remember why. I think I was playing Final Fantasy seven probably. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I just, I really want to play it and I know that I could pirate it, you know, mm-hmm. and do it that way. But, I have a I have a Japanese Saturn on my desk at work. I've got my action replay cart. I yep. just, I want to have the box there. I want to. I got that place. too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the day will come soon enough. I hope. Well, I guess one way you could look at it is that a Saturn itself is pretty cheap. So if you're dropping three hundred on the game, just imagine you're spending three hundred for the Saturn and the game, even if you already own the Saturn. I don't That's know. It's true. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those games that that I want to get. And even at that price, it's not because I'm a collector, but because I want to experience the game like as it is without any pirating. Or because even even when you pirate, you're probably going to run into a, a problem when you have to switch discs. You know? Yeah, and you know, Panzer Dragoon is one of those cases too, where the original source code has basically been lost. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a service called GameTap, uh, where actually a fellow Gamespot editor used to work there. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. I, I used to subscribe to that for a short time. Yeah, so uh, they had the code for Panzer Dragoon Saga. Sega no longer has it. GameTap does. Uh, or perhaps someone who used to work there. And uh, that's the only place it exists. So we're not going to get like a port of Panzer Dragoon Saga anywhere. 
Yeah. So the Saturn version is kind of the only way to, I think, to, that we're ever going to be able to experience that game outside of piracy. Yeah. So it, it's it's special for a lot of reasons. At least. Yeah. How about the um, the non uh, role playing game Panzer Dragoon titles? I mean, you said you got into the Saturn later, so I'm assuming yeah. you're kind of a late adapter to the franchise. Yeah. No, I've I've got those in my drawer right next to me, actually. Uh, I like those games quite a bit. Um, the, I haven't played the Xbox uh, Panzer Dragon Orta uh, game mm-hmm. uh, all the way through yet, but I do love to pop in the old ones and, uh, and give those maybe half hour once a month. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, they are definitely quality titles. Um, let's see, what else was I going to mention? We've covered the Dreamcast. Oh, do you have any thoughts on the 32X? <laughs> <laughs> the 32X was kind of like the Sega CD for me in so much as it was too expensive and a little... I didn't really understand why it was going to be that much better at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I never got into it. Um, I will say that the Star Wars game on 32X has always kind of been something that I've wanted. And so I, I, I'm actually kind of keeping my eye out for a, for a three, uh, 32X locally that I can pick uh-huh. up with that game. Uh, nice, yeah. The, the the Star Wars one's a lot of fun. I have that one. Yeah, it's not bad. That's not a bad little one. Were there any really good thirty two X games? Funny you should mention that. Um, let's see. There's uh, Calibri from the uh, creator of Echo the Dolphin. Okay. Um, it's a hummingbird shooter. Shoot 'em up. Yeah. Um, very very beautiful visuals. Uh, gameplay. Is I mean, it kind of reminds me of Echo in that the visuals are awesome, the music's awesome, but the gameplay is, I think, over people kind of overrate it. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. I mean, you're swimming around in the ocean with Echo, or you're flying around as a hummingbird, but you know, it's it's not it's not revolutionary, but it's it's, it's perhaps cool. tedious, perhaps a little yeah, tedious. <laughs> a little tedious. In fact, I think there's a little more um, action in uh, Colibri than there is in Echo for sure. So it's definitely. You're not you're not flying around like looking for gemstones to open doors. I don't believe. I think it's more like there's giant frogs and you got to shoot them and things like that. Um, Tempo is a pretty good game. It's a platformer from Sega. Uh, I believe there were two sequels to that. It's it's really bizarre and trippy. I think there's an entire stage that takes place inside like a mouth. Huh. I'm um, looking these up right now as you're telling me about them. And, and yeah. Tempo looks kind of interesting. It's kind of like a. It reminds me of Rayman a little bit, just in its bizarreness. But it's got some really great music, lots of colors, like I said. Yeah. Chaotix is good if you go in not expecting a Sonic the Hedgehog game, okay. or at least not expecting a normal Sonic game. I think it's better than some of. Uh, I, I like it more than 3D Blast. Um, but it's it's weird playing Sonic with basically a Sonic game, but with someone tethered to you. You got to think about it in a whole new way, but um, yeah, yeah the little designs one. are pretty bizarre in that one. Although yeah. it has some really good bonus stages, I, I like the way those plays out. I was always surprised Chaotix had like cutscenes before the boss. Like you'd see a, a little graphic of the arena from above, like a drawing, oh, and really? then it, yeah, and then it would like show Eggman coming in. It was like duh, 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 duh. it was uh, very cinematic. It's probably the most cinematic of the Sonic games um, in that sense. Cool. Um, lots of good arcade titles. I think it has the best version of Virtua Fighter. Yes. Um, it also has great ports of uh, Space Harrier and Afterburner. 
um, Star Wars Arcade, like you mentioned. So, I mean, it's I one had of those... Doom on it as well. And um, Doom's all right. Yeah. A, one called Spider Man Web of Fire, which is like denim <laughs> leotard. Me? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was add on YouTube playing real quick. <laughs> Something about leotards. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, 32X, it's one of those curiosities, curiosity consoles or pieces of hardware that it's worth owning as long as you uh, are aware that you're probably only going to have about 10 good games for it. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I think, yeah. Sometimes it's, I like getting into a new system because I know I've got years ahead of me of seeking stuff out. But mm-hmm. I guess maybe the 32X is kind of like, okay, I could just jump into that whenever. Yeah. It's not going to be a long haul trying to get every game that I want. No, no, definitely not. It's not like the Sega CD where a lot of the titles are super expensive and hard to find. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there were only about 30 or 40 games for the 32X. Okay. In America, at least. Oh, Blackthorn is supposed to be really good. Um, Was there a port? Yeah. Yeah, oh. Blackthorn's very good. I think Maya, or what is it, Pitfall, the, the Mayan Adventure is pretty See, good on that. Now you're getting me all interested. There are games I didn't realize were on the 32X. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I mean, you're probably looking at spending, for, aside from Web of Fire, which is like a $200 game now, which I don't even think it's that good of a game, but, you know, maybe like $40 on the really good games, maybe $20 on more of the arcade titles. Yeah. Um, but the, the one thing about the 32X is that you got to have the correct inputs, especially if you're working off of a Genesis one, because it's not, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the angry video game nerd episode. He, he kind of overplays how difficult it is to connect. Um, yeah, but you, you at least have to make sure you have this converter cord, which allows it to play on the Genesis one. Um, then there's the Sega Pico, which is a lot of fun. If you want to learn your numbers and your counting, you keep bringing that up every time we talk. Sega Peak comes up. <laughs> well, it is it is the twentieth uh, anniversary this year of of everyone's favorite console, the Sega Pico. <laughs> Wasn't that just a rewired Genesis or something? It actually is a Genesis, um, I believe, because someone has created a uh, a pass through cart that allows you to plug a Pico cartridge into your Sega Genesis. You can't play the games because it doesn't have the stylus and everything, but you can make a Pico game show up through a Genesis. Wow. Pretty wild. But um, I'll admit I'm actually getting into the Pico this year. That was... I I, I kind of uh, drew the short end of the stick for what what the big uh, pieces of hardware are for this year. But there are some, some weird titles. There's an Echo Jr. on there, which is like Baby Echo learning about numbers and counting and there's <laughs> sounds, a, a sounds amazing yeah there's there's <laughs> tales in the music maker where tales walks through green hill zone but the sprite of tales is this weird like american created sprite but oh. the uh, green green hills just as it is in sonic one and like the stages like it changes it's like a weird purple green hill with orange sky um it's a weird console, but it was actually, I don't know if you're aware of this, it was actually incredibly popular in Japan. It had a 10-year lifespan, and um, it even had a successor, the Pico Bina. Huh. No, I so, did not know that. That's cool. With with a uh, a lot of Pokemon games were on that. Seriously? So, there's, wow. a, there's a Pikachu Pico. Wow, you learned something new <laughs> every day, strange. I guess. That's Which looks like his head. <laughs> <laughs> That's so strange. So... 
Yeah, I, I have been talking about the Pico a lot, and that's just because I've been reading too much about it. I need to like play some hardcore games now. It's it's kind of sad. <laughs> like everyone's talking about the the latest you know titles coming out, and I'm thinking, oh man, I can't wait to play ta- Tales and the Music Maker <laughs> or Mag- Magical Crans. I can't wait to play Magical Crans, Richard Scary. So, I got to talk about that anyway, but. Um, yeah, so um, I guess uh, we're we're nearing the end of the show, but I did want to talk about, um, uh, I guess, just a little bit of the Sega news going on right now. Um, there's that uh, that uh, campaign, Segalization, which is uh, attempting to get Sega to bring a lot of their Japanese titles to the West um, by way of uh, releasing them on the PC. What do you think about that, Peter? I think, well, it would be very smart of Sega to embrace the PC as much as possible. Um, the, uh, you know, just to bring it back about Valve again, I mean, that one of the reasons they're so successful is that they've made so much money on the Steam platform because they give consumers what they want and mm-hmm. they enable developers to get games out there really easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, I mean, if Sega already has these games, they only have to localize them yeah. and they'll work on a PC. I, I think that would be a great idea. And then there's even the games. I think they're also asking for games that are already localized, like um, a lot of some of the maybe platinum games titles. Um, I'd yeah. love to see Yakuza on the PC. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Any mods that people would create for that too? <laughs> Put Ryo Hazuki <laughs> in them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that'd be awesome. And uh, another another bit. Uh, have you? Um, played alien isolation yet or have any of your uh, uh staff members played the game uh one staff member in the uk mark walton uh put up a preview about two weeks ago mm-hmm. and uh he walked away with a very positive impression that's uh, good yeah did you uh play colonial marines were you one of the unfortunate <laughs> ones oh man oh no i avoided that like the plague good <laughs> um, yeah, and so I think the guys who are making uh, Alien Isolation are the guys who developed the Total War series, and mm-hmm. they've done really well for Sega, so I, I think that's going to be a really interesting game based on that relationship alone. I'm looking forward to that one. You also you also had your uh, top 10 games of 2013. Uh, we also did our own, at least, uh, Sega-oriented one. I noticed you didn't have any Sega games on the list, but I don't really blame you. Um <laughs> But uh, if you were to say what your favorite Sega title was of 2013, if you could name one. Man, that's tough. And that includes the 3DS ports, if you've gotten to play some of those. Yeah, it would, pro- it would probably be the 3DS port of, uh, of Space Harrier, oh, if, I- if anything. I, and, you know, i got to say, like, I, I did enjoy parts of Crimson Dragon mm-hmm. um, as a Sega fan. I think, objectively, it's not a great game. But... Yeah. Um, you know, I still have the little postcard with the QR code that I used to download it from. And, uh, you know, I just, I have a soft spot in my heart for that game, even though it's not great. <laughs> as, a, as a Sega fan, you know, it was, it's, I'm glad it exists. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's fair. And I mean, it, it definitely went through a tumultuous uh, development. At least it was shifted around so much. But it does exist on the 360. Uh from what we've seen when the game was leaked. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that we was, have that. But, sir, are you uh, use the joystick and the buttons, or do you just use the uh, stylus? For which? Oh, for... Sp- um, Space Harrier. 
Oh, oh, I'm uh, I use the uh, the just the, the buttons. I don't I don't use the stylus too often if I can avoid it. <laughs> the stylus almost feels like cheating. It's so perfect. Yeah, I know. It, it really changed the way I play the game. So, like, I cannot imagine using that one for quite a bit. Yeah, that's true. I can't imagine being in an arcade and playing as well as I can with the stylus. It's just, it's like you can move the sprite to like the millimeter with that thing and just keep it in place firing. It's uh, it's almost like easy mode. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, looking ahead to 2014, it's a pretty, I mean, Sega's been pretty quiet so far. We only have Alien Isolation. Um, there's the uh, second round of um, 3DS re-releases, which I believe the next round includes Afterburner. Should be pretty cool. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's it's really quiet. I, I apparently there's another Wii U Sonic game coming out, but some I don't know if Sega has even confirmed that there is one. Have you heard anything, Jason? No, they haven't confirmed anything yet. No, all we know, have right now is uh, some Lost World, you know, DLC levels that have Nintendo IP on them. That's like, right. We have Zelda coming out. Yeah. That's going to be weird. There was a, <laughs> uh, a new Sonic cartoon that mm-hmm. popped up online. I, if they are coming out with a different game, maybe it's tied to that? Could be. It's possible. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, Sonic Boom, and all they revealed were um, uh, like the outlines, the shadows of the characters, and the weirdest thing is that Knuckles grew about three feet and has fingers. Ah, that's strange. <laughs> which, which people have been calling him Fingers the Echidna now, so... <laughs> But um, that's, I don't know, I can't, I can't see them completely changing the designs of the characters, especially when I feel like they're at such a good place right now. The, the Sonic cast hasn't really undergone any major redesign since 2008, 2007. Yeah. So. yeah. It's interesting. Any, any character designs you'd probably do for that show would be exclusive to that show, I'd imagine. Yeah, but I mean, you never know. I mean, we've seen... Um, uh, some of the cartoons come through in the games with um, Sonic Spinball. And uh, they even had a planned Sonic the Hedgehog Saturday morning cartoon video game, which was like uh, Metal Gear Solid, wasn't it? Where you're sneaking around. Oh, Robot yeah, I Nick's saw that. Got, uh, Sally in it. So bizarre. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting year. There's been very... Oh, we have Yakuza uh, Ishin. I think I'm saying that right. Coming out um, on the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4 next month. Was that confirmed in the West, or is that Japan only still? Not confirmed for the uh, West, more than likely Japan only. I feel like it could be Sony. Uh, Sony could be the ones that really push for it, just because they want to have some more content for Americans and Europeans. I don't know. It's maybe maybe they'll handle the localization it could end up being like that yeah i mean that's i think nintendo is an example of a company that's doing that right now um uh bravely default the square enix rpg that's essentially final fantasy uh nintendo is the company responsible for localizing and publishing that outside of japan um because their platform kind of needed that game right so Mm -hmm. uh, yeah i wouldn't be surprised if sony did that and And we have bayonetta 2 also coming out we do yeah that's uh, technically that's isn't the, a Sega game, but it's kind of they the do same. own the IP. Yeah, they, it's but, still the um, kind of same thing where Nintendo is publishing that, so they can get some extra, you know, third-party support that way. That's true. The more and more I, I I've got the uh, Bayonetta art book, and the more and more I read that, I realize that Sega had very little to do with the development of that game. It was really, if anything, it sounded like Sega didn't want her to have glasses. Right, and Kamiya, uh, the. Uh, the, the director, I believe, of Bayonetta 
mm-hmm. was like, uh, no, <laughs> she's going and to he, glasses. <laughs> he put glasses on everyone. I don't know if you saw that uh, Instagram post we made, but every single secondary character has glasses. Oh. <laughs> Even a character who doesn't wear them has them hanging off of his vest. Man, I don't know so. Tia personally, but based on his Twitter, uh, <laughs> the stuff he puts out online, that makes perfect sense that he would be that defiant. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean... It, I'm I'm looking forward to it, but it's definitely not going to be a, a Sega game, right? Um, which I guess the same could be said of Alien Isolation. It is developed in house, but a lot of people kind of distance Creative Assembly from Sega proper. I don't think that's fair to do to them, because I mean it's all of Sega's money going yeah, into that's this. True. Yeah, I mean it, but it's all it's, it's not like, their IP. I mean, like what's what's in a name really, right? I mean, Sega used to hire employees back in the day and. You know, bring mm-hmm. them in house, and now they're just hiring companies. And you know, I think that that that's that's okay. I think it can still be viewed as a Sega uh, endeavor. Yeah, that's one of the um, arguments we used to get into on the forums. Was like the C- the Sega DNA. People go, "Oh, it's not a Sega game," and I'm like, "Well, is Echo the Dolphin a Sega game?" Well, yeah, and I'm like, "Well, no, it's not." <laughs> <You know? laughs> By your definition, right? Yeah, <laughs> Echo the Dolphin and Toe Jam and Earl are just as much a Sega game as Bayonetta is. I mean, yeah, we have an external developer doing their thing. They basically pitched the idea to Sega. Sega funded it and released the title, but. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting year. I, I'm thinking, I'm hoping that the Yakuza game is not the the best in-house uh, title using a franchise that they own in 2014. I hope we see something exciting and new. Um, so fingers crossed for that. But yeah, it's. I think there's going to be probably a stronger focus on mobile, like there was in 2013. Again, that seems to be where they're finding some success. That's true. Yeah, but hopefully we could see some. I don't know, you can do a lot with a mobile device sometimes, so hopefully they put more into it than just uh, re-releasing a 3DS title with uh, microtransactions. So, yeah, my one prediction is, um, like, what's his name, Taxman or Christian Whitehead, he did, uh, did originally the port of Sonic CD, which ended up on not only iOS systems, but on, like, PS3, Xbox 360. Yeah. But then he uh, did improvements on Sonic 1 and 2, but those only stayed on mobile platforms. Yeah. Yeah, my prediction is they're going to do another one like that for like Sonic 3 and Knuckles and then those Release. ones will finally uh be on uh PS3 and like 3 or the the uh HD consoles but release the whole trilogy. trilogy. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the trilogy so they can uh, you know charge more for it. Did you get a chance to play those, Peter? No, I've not unfortunately. They're pretty they're pretty damn fantastic. <laughs> huh. I mean, built from the ground up, there's a lot a lot of uh Little Easter eggs hidden in there. You can play as Knuckles in Sonic One. Oh, strange. <laughs> so that's that's pretty bizarre. And he even got away with adding uh, additional little uh, fixes, which is rare for Sega Japan to approve these things, like the Wrecking Ball and all that. Um, and the hidden, from what pal- I've, a brand new uh, the hidden, hidden palace pal- zone. Yeah. yeah. From what I've heard, though, he also even wanted to add more, but Sega said no. Um, I mean, I think if he had it his way, he might have even tied Sonic 1 and 2 together. That's just my guess, but definitely based on his comments, it sounded like he really pushed as much as he could with Sega to add a lot of kind of like director's cut bits to the game. So I'm I'm interested to see uh, where he goes with that. That's really cool. For sure. It's, it's Yeah, it's interesting to see Sega of Japan trust, uh, I believe he's Australian, an Australian... Uh, once, uh, well, he still is a fan, but he definitely he started at the Sonic Retro forums uh as a fan and it grew into an official title so that's pretty wild but um 
yeah, so that that pretty much does it with the news. Um, I think we're running t- up towards the end of the show. Peter, is there anything you wanted to add? Any uh, anything you wanted to say? Uh, well, definitely. I appreciate you guys inviting me on. It's uh, it's not every day that I get to talk to people that care about old games as much as I do. Uh, nice. So, yeah, it's been really fun. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. And we'd love to have you on in the future. I've actually been thinking of doing a Fantasy Star Online roundtable. Ooh, uh, yeah. Might be fun to get you on. I know um, Francesca Reyes of uh, OXM, who did uh, ODCM, is uh, big into that, and she uh, expressed interest in a Fantasy Star Online show too. So yeah, for sure, that might be a lot of fun. But um, and uh, also, we end each show with uh, a Sega song. Is there any game uh, or any specific tune you wanted us to play as we uh, as we end this episode? Oh wow! Oh wow! Putting me on the spot. Um, yeah. I'm gonna, you know, what? I'm gonna say a song from Fantasy Star Online. I don't, I don't have one in mind, but if you could do that, I think that would nice. be appropriate. We'll just play the entire soundtrack. It'll Perfect. be a yeah, <laughs> sixty minute ending. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll pick something good. So, um, I guess that ends the show from me, uh, Barry. Thank you for listening, Jason. Hey. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And Peter, again, thank you so much for joining us, and thanks. Uh, we're looking. Hopefully, we can have you on again in a future episode. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks again, guys. Thank you.